Chris, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Welcome to Culture Road. I'm so excited that you are able and available to be part of our podcast today. Looking forward to having a conversation with you. Um, let me first uh, introduce you to our listeners. Hollis Meminger is a um, an award-winning filmmaker and community activist. He is the founder and CEO of Bridge Builder Cinematic Arts. He's a longtime friend and uh, colleague and confidant and co-conspirer around all things trying to make the world better and have an impact on the lives of others. Uh, Hollis, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. No, thank you. So Hollis, let's just, let's jump right in. What I'd love to do is maybe initially just invite you to share a little bit more about yourself and your story. Of course, there's a lot of other kind of professional accolades and experiences mm -hmm. and you Tell us a little bit more about kind of who you are and where you come from. Yeah, uh, my name is Talos Meminger. I'm originally from Hampton, Virginia. Um, military kid, grew up in New Jersey, Virginia, North Carolina, Germany, and kind of did like a full circle on all those places. Uh, ended up in uh, going to high school in New Jersey and then going to Georgetown uh, for college. After uh, graduating, I moved to New York City and sort of took on this whole world of like, you know, arts and like hanging with filmmakers and, and poets and writers, screenwriters, theater people, and was just kind of fell in love with being an artist. Cause I really feel like that's something that I, I feel like I've always been, but didn't really have the place to, to do it. Georgetown wasn't really a sort of an artist school. It, it didn't offer a lot of those things, but uh, I think upon graduating, I just fell in love with and and have been doing it since, gosh, probably 90, 1997. I know. I, I remember. I remember when, I remember we met back when you were in D.C. I was um, new to D.C. I had just moved there for the early part of my career, and you were transitioning between Georgetown and before you went to New York. And I remember that you were... You didn't, I don't think you described yourself as an artist at that point, but you definitely had, you know, all of the artist sensibilities. You wrote and you always had all these creative ideas and we'd, we'd sit around and just kind of wax poetic about all of these big thoughts all the time. Um, I also remember you really um, helped me rediscover a passion for writing and, and reading. And still to this day, you recommend amazing books to me. <laughs> Ferociously, right? <laughs> love it. I love it. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about your. Um, I know you probably had a million exciting moments, but some of your most, ex you know, memorable moments in filmmaking. You know, I I probably have two or three. Um, they all kind of, I would say that they they're different. You know, um, I have the sort of creative part of it. I have the personal part of it. And I think the sort of activist in me kind of was ignited by a whole different set of rules. So I remember being on the set of Sopranos and I remember pushing these two carts. I had one cart that had all these, uh, uh, all this camera stuff on it, had another cart, you know, I'm pushing one cart forward and I'm pulling the other one at the same time. And I remember this parking guy he was probably in his, at that point I was in my twenties. He was probably in his mid to late forties. And he stopped me and he said, you know, seeing you at work every day makes me proud. 
right? And and for some reason, I think I got caught up in the I'm just working, I'm black, I'm in in the film industry, but being one of a few camera people, I don't think it really hit me until he said that, you know, until he said, you know, what you're doing makes me proud because I know that this is something I will never be able to do. But the fact that I get to see you doing it every day lets me know that I've also made it. So, so that's like the first thing that sticks out, you know, aside from the actual work stuff. And I think that's what caused me to dig a little bit deeper and see like, why am I the only black person in a camera department, you know, across the board? You know, there's only a few and I don't see anybody unless we're doing craft service or we're doing parking or we're doing security. And so I wanted to take that time and figure out how can I impact, you know, not just the industry, but how can I impact the community? So I started Bridge Builder Cinematic Arts in my head at that moment because I was like, well, if the industry's not really doing anything about it, am I doing anything myself that's concrete or am I just sort of being the same as everybody else? I'm going to get mine and I'm going to keep moving. So the, the, the idea of Bridge Builder Cinematic Arts was, was kind of formed, I believe, at that moment. Because I said, you know what, if we're going to change the industry, it's not going to be people my age. It's going to be high school students who have a hunger for this. And I saw that well before the digital age came up, well before social media. So I started ruminating about creating this program that teaches high school kids how to become masters of their own storytelling uh, narrative to impact their community. So that's the second thing. The third actual work thing that happened, I had gone to, I guess I had been working for for a while and I was working on a TV show called Younger uh, on TV Land and I was a camera assistant when I started. And cut to six years later, I had already moved up two levels and my uh, director of photography, John Thomas, he was retiring, and this was around COVID, you know, around COVID. And he said, you know, I'm going to retire, but I want you to take over the show, and I want you to be the director of photography. So I was like, you know, this might be cool. I, I know I could do it, but you also still have to be approved by everybody else. You have to be approved by the studio. You have to be approved by the creator. Um, and all the people involved, but I had been on the show for, for three years. And what he said, do you want to take it over? I didn't hesitate. I was like, yep, definitely. And then I go back into my little archives, like reading. I'm like, I feel like I'm going back to school again. And then when the season ends, I make the, you know, the first round of Emmy nominations. And so, th so those three things I think have impacted me in my career like wholeheartedly since the beginning. Love it. I, I, there's one thing that there's so many things that you said, but one of the things that I you know came to mind is that you have never been an apathetic person. You know, you're you you when you see something that needs to be stuffed done, rather than kind of just ruminate around about it. You know, you you mentioned like I'm not just gonna get mine and keep rolling like everybody else. But you also feel a personal sense of responsibility for doing something. And you've always, I think, um, modeled that in ways that are really brilliant, but also in ways that cultivate community, that give back to younger people who may not have the same access if it weren't for people like you and set kind of a tone and potentially even motivation for other people 
um, to look around and say, wait, what am I doing? What could I potentially be doing in order to help this situation? And if all of us can see ourselves contributing in some small or focused or really leveraging our own strengths way, we could really, really have um, a lot of impact from society. And I love where that um, bridge builder came from and the work that you do there. But I also love that Emmy nomination. Yeah, me too. After <laughs> the recognition for all of the amazing work that you do. Thank you. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because it as much as that is a big deal, the bigger deal is being able to go into the community because you know, truth be told, people love accolades, right? People love, oh, this is an Oscar winner, this is an Emmy nominated, this is an Emmy award winner. Like people love to hear that. But it, it it's only important in as much as that moment because once that's once that's finished, we don't have the opportunity to move. You need the opportunity to do the next thing. You know, it's like you have Oscar winners, but that's only as good as that job. You know, so when you go to your next job, and I feel like I try to impart that on a lot of students, like don't rest on those laurels. Like you know, you can sit there and be excited about yourself and happy, but you still have to go back and put in the next round of work and no, and no one's going to look at that for you to, to approve you for your next job. It's not a guarantee of anything. You still have to get out there and, and fight. You still have to advocate for yourself. You still have to push forward. You still have to read and learn and stay up on all this technology, which at Emmy means absolutely nothing, you know? Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question about that. I was just recently um, at a program for um, you know young people who are just at the end of their college careers, going into uh, their the the first parts of their uh, next career uh, uh, experiences, and there was a good amount of conversation about having kind of fire in my belly and really wanting to take care of myself and understanding how to establish boundaries. And I feel like we're in this kind of tenuous place where we definitely, you know, want to pay attention to the fact that people need to take care of themselves and be be well and 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 and, and make sure that they're not overburdened or, uh, or stretching themselves too thin. But there also needs to be that that work ethic that you just described about just really doubling down and doing all of the intense work necessary to really be extraordinary, to really be exceptional. How do you balance that? And then how do you like for the for the young people that you work with in Bridge Builder and how do you help them understand how to balance that for themselves? It's tricky because, you know, this day and age they see Instagram and or whatever the social media platforms are, they see success, they don't see all the failures, right? So everybody's completely polished. Everybody's what I consider to be like body filtered. Right. And not like visually, like everything is filtered, like, you know, the entire, you know, you have this sort of facial stuff, but it's, it's the whole persona, like all of that is filtered. And I always tell them like, nobody became a success overnight. Nobody. It, it doesn't exist. It's not something that's, that's real. And then they sort of ask questions. Well, well, how did you do it? And I said, I fight every single day. Like I fight myself, you know, I fight self doubt just like everybody else. But, but the bigger thing for me is I like the fight. You know, I, I enjoy challenging myself because that, that sort of fear-based, you know, whatever that person is over there that's saying, 
you can't do this and you can't do that. I invite that person because I feel like I'm proving to that person every day, like you're not even real. Like you're just that you, it's almost like that person that I hear for a very short period of time is the person that tests me the most. And because that person has always tested me, it's almost like a game. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to show you that I can actually do that because what you're saying is just words, right? So I try to impart that to the students. Like you have to put blinders on. You have to be like that horse, you know, that's running that race. It doesn't see anything next to it. And it sees the finish line is going as fast and as hard as it can, but it's training to get there. You know, you have to keep training yourself. And that self-doubt, that self-work, all that stuff goes away because you know, I'm prepared. If someone calls me today and says, hey, I'm ready, you know, I need you to do this, I'm ready. There's no question. It's like now how when we jump in, now let's be creative. Let's do what we know how to do. And I think that's the part that a lot of people miss, especially young kids, is because they struggle with seeing perfection right out of the gate. It's not real. It's not real. Yeah. I love, I love the way you just described that. And I, I, one of the um, questions that came up for me in this, uh, this group that I was in just yesterday uh, was about like, how do you not kind of overthink it when an opportunity comes your way? And I'm like, listen, it's not hard. You don't have to overthink something if you've been anchoring to your aspiration all along. Like if you stop right now and focus on like, who am I? What are my values? What are my, my own aspirations? What are my strengths? If we stop comparing ourselves to other people and put in kind of the disciplined practice associated with just really trying to bring my voice, my strengths, my talents, my competence, my stamina into focus, then when choices come, it's really easy to kind of jump on them and know which ones are the right ones for you and also to feel prepared. Nothing ever comes, in my experience at least, exactly at the time it was most convenient for me. <laughs> you know, it's... But if I'm, if I'm prepared and if I've kind of positioned myself to think about what my next steps want, what I want my next steps to be and what's in line with what would be kind of a fruitful pursuit for me, then it's so easy for me to say, you know what, the timing is a little tricky on this, but heck yeah, I'm in and I'm ready to go. And I feel like, you know, that's a, that's a huge opportunity for, I don't even know if it's just young folks at this moment in time. I think all of us yeah, are I think it's everybody. being swallowed up by this this world that is telling us that there are all these other people around us who are doing better than us. When really, if we just focus more kind of in here, we probably would have a lot more peace and a lot more ability um, to, to manifest what it is that we want. I agree. I agree. And I also think that it, it's also, um, you know, I had a coach back in high school that told me, you know, don't run anybody else's race because you always lose. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, also stuck with me. It's like everybody has their own reason for being here. Everybody has their own mission. And when you when you understand that, like, I know what my assignment is, you know, whether it be, you know, if you believe in God or a spirituality or whatever that is, I was put here to do something. And, and that to me is... It's unwavering. Like there's nothing that's going to shake that because that's my mission. That's what I was supposed to do. And I don't really look at, you know, I, I, I watch people's work, but I watch it to get better. I don't watch it to compare myself right. because there's no comparison. What I do is completely different from the next person. 
Um, and if I don't put my own stamp on it, then I'm trying to replicate something that's impossible. You'll never have the same, the same like tools and, you know, same circumstances. None of those things will ever be the same for anybody. So I don't, I don't agree with trying to be like, yeah, yeah. I think I kind of irreplaceable, unique, you know, indispensable, like to really be able to find that, that thing that is you. Sometimes it takes some of us a long time to get there. It took me a long time to figure out like how to really find my own voice. I mean, I've always just been on a path, but I really wrestled with insecurity for a long time. I was looking around. I, I was I was getting messages that I was listening to from other places. And I feel like, I don't know if it slowed me down. I feel like things happen just the way they're supposed to when you kind of sit back at a certain point in life and realize things probably happened exactly how they were supposed to. But um, to be able to have that wisdom as early on as possible is a gift. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also spending a lot of time by yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I think I spent a lot of time alone. Uh, and just, I, I, and I think there's some power in that as much as people might think that that's like, you know, an introvert or, you know, not inclusive and, and you don't want to kind of engage. But it's like when you're in that quiet space and you're by yourself, like that's that's the only person you get to deal with. And you have to you have to face that person. And I think when you do that, you become a lot more powerful because once you step out there, there's a certain um, there's a certain strength that is unshakable in the face of all that adversity. And so it's so wild that you said that. I that's also something that came up in it recently, and I I said you know for people who um, you know really want to think about your leadership journey, the the most important thing I invite you to do is find quiet time and reflect. And everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. But everybody's opinion is not right for me. Every, you know, like even if it worked for them, even if it even if it worked for them and they're incredibly successful, they're different than who I am. But I also feel like that ability to just be quiet, especially in a world that's filled with so much noise and so many inputs and so much kind of toxicity and so many we weren't wired for this. So to actually be able to find quiet time to go deep is um, a very unique thing. And I don't think it's it's really um, positioned as something that is as important as I actually do believe it is. And I, I, I even talk to people about like, this is why meditation and the research on meditation is so important is because it really focuses us on that quiet time. However you take it, if it's just reflecting, if it's journaling, if it's praying, if it's meditating, whatever it is, but being in that space of just being quiet. Yeah, I agree with that. I want to ask you, I want to shift gears for a second because one of the things that I know about you and we um, we talked about this recently when we were um, together and you you talked uh, you talk about storytelling um, and I know that you're a genius storyteller. You're always reminding me what's the most important thing, Dieta, is telling the story and putting things together in a way that humans um, can connect to it. Um, but I also know that storytelling is not just important in filmmaking. It's also so much part of being a community activist. And so I'd love for you to just explain a little bit more about when you talk about the power of storytelling, what do you mean? And also, um, what do you what do you think storytelling does? How does it how does it impact humans? Mm. Um, I think that, you know, that the power of telling a story can change the world. Right. 
as we see it. I mean, we see it every day. We see, you know, the news, this, this storytelling, and it, it moves people to some place, whether it's right or wrong, you know? So it, it, it's also how you decide to ingest that story. Like we can, you know, people will hear something on news that's completely false, run with it. And now that, that telephone game is being told outside. And now what was red is now blue and what was blue is now green and what's green is now yellow. But I think the power in it for our people, and I'm being specific, is that if we are, if we take ownership of our story, it's more powerful. When other people tell our stories, they tell it the way that they see us and the way that they see our community and our people. And I think that's reflected in, unfortunately, it's reflected in Hollywood as well. It's like, the the major stories that get told a lot of times aren't being told by us they're being manipulated for an audience that can ingest the information therefore that's where you know if you look at the list of movies year to year most of the time they're not about the lawyers the doctors the you know the positives the you know, every once in a while you sprinkle a couple of those in there, but for the most part, it's some his, some sort of, you know, offbeat historical context of something that's not quite valid or it's a superhero because people can see us as superheroes, right? Because yeah. that's fictitious and it's supposed to be, right? So those things are really pushed. Um, but I think when you get down to the community level, when people are given the voice to tell their own stories, it's more impact. It's more impactful for companies. It's more impactful for investors. It's more impact because they, you know, sometimes people want to, you know, whether it be a nonprofit or or a for profit company, people invest in what they believe. But I feel like if people from the community are the masters of their own story, much more of an impact can be had. And I, I totally agree. And you and I talk about this all the time, but this is also to me a place where our, our work kind of intersects, right? So I do equity, diversity, and inclusion work as a practitioner. You do, in my opinion, equity, diversity, and inclusion work in every single thing that you touch, right? The promise that you told about how somebody stopped you and said, you just being there actually had an impact on him, made him proud about himself. And also that translated into you being able to um, create Bridge Builder and give back to communities of people who might otherwise not have access and who have absolutely been marginalized in society in a lot of different ways, as a lot of people are, especially from this filmmaking industry. So I feel like there's this amazing intersection that I think people are still trying to get their minds around, but the word impact and the word equity are right at the center of it. And it feels like there's just something really important that's happening. This amazing kind of transition in the world right now where there's just conversation that's taking place that's very different than what's been popularized before and conceptualized before. And people are willing to think more expansively rather than everything has to fall into these cookie cutter, you know, easily digestible molds. I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, but it's exciting to think about kind of where this is all going potentially. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, and I think that if people, again, it, there's the, it's an art to telling the story, right? There's a there's there's sort of the blueprints. There's the the philosophical, you know, ideas of you know archetypes and all that, which is true. 
And I believe that those things exist. But when we can ingest that stuff in terms of ethics, in terms of morality, in terms of community, in terms of bridging, like, you know, really serious, deep gaps in in that information, it's easier for people to kind of understand that. But I think that it's such a hard thing for people to to really grasp when they're not when they're not wholeheartedly seeing that as a as a, a real thing. Right, right. So Hollis, we're talking about, you know, storytelling and you do this practically um, as part of your work. You integrate storytelling and narrative techniques into your profession. Tell me a little bit more about how you do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, as a cinematographer, most of my storytelling is visual. You know, um, you know, I, I get a script, I read it, and I try to figure out what's the best visual cues that accentuate those words. Um, you know, so it, it's really like looking at something with a, a, a really wide vantage point and trying to hone in on every single thing that's creating that emotion from the colors, from the lighting, uh, making some suggestions on what people are wearing. You know, sometimes those things can be distracting based on what we're what we're trying to convey visually. But I feel like I'm a, um, you know, I'm, I'm a budding master storyteller because that's something I think is a lifelong journey. You know, like the masters of light and the masters of you know, cinematographers that exist in the world, they'll say the same thing. Like I'm always learning. I'm always on that journey. So if I'm on this visual journey, you know, of storytelling, then at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to understand that written journey as well. So we kind of put both of those things together that create what people see as these masterpieces, even though we know where the flaws are, right? But there's something really perfect about that imperfect space. I love it. I totally agree. I love it. Absolutely love it. You've had you've had an incredible career to date, which is still strong and still going. strong and going. Uh, what motivates you to um, to keep creating and to keep pouring so much of your time and energy into Bridge Builder? In addition to making films, you also do Bridge Builder. I saw you recently with Young Arts. I mean, you constantly have ways in which you're pouring into a variety of different communities. Um, and also pursuing a very active profession and, and a lot of your own projects. How do you how do you keep the energy and the focus and the drive to keep doing all of this? Again, it's the mission. It's like, you know, when you know what you're supposed to do, once you figure that out, and I feel like I've, I mean, I've had a million jobs. I had a million different uh, paths and ideas, but I think once I saw the impact of what I was doing in the community, because I think that the traditional sort of sense of, you know, professions don't work for a lot of people, you know, and it doesn't work for a lot of people from marginalized communities because of access and resources, right? And then all of a sudden you you realize like when you go into these, you know, I went into East St. Louis, you know, some years ago with a lot of gang members and, and people that were struggling, but the creativity that they have is something that is unprecedented because they have to be creative to survive, right? Growing up in certain neighborhoods and, and situations and also moving to New York, I had to be creative to survive here, 
you know, I had to creatively think about, you know, what kind of job am I going to get? Where's my money coming from? Where am I eating? What, you know, how am I navigating, you know, New York City in the 90s? Um, But I think that the drive is that I've been given an opportunity in in a business that nobody I knew was already here, you know? So I feel like if more of us kind of push that narrative, like, you know, we're, we're not, we're not legacy. We didn't come from money. We didn't come from, you know, and and I don't knock those people like that's their mission. That's their life. That's what they were given. Totally fine. I understand that. But when I see kids who are first generation, you know, students from other countries that are now here, I see, you know, people immigrated from here recently and their parents don't know this world of, of, storytelling and and visualization and film and television, but how it can impact, you know, it's one thing to just get a job. Like you can go out here and get a job on film and television and not care about the rest of the world. But I feel like my community gave me something and I have to give something back to my community. I love that. I feel like we have so much in common around that. And I feel like you know, it's it's funny. I was I, I just came from a conference of um, for uh, HBCUs. I feel like it's very cultural for us, and I think there are a lot of cultures that feel the same way. But kind of this, uh, not a desperate sense, but an urgency. Like this is not an option. We have to pour into each other. We have to see ourselves as part of the same um, kind of thriving ecosystem. So the last thing that I would ask you is just if you if you could give advice. Um, for people who have kind of a fire in their belly, but feel overwhelmed, right? Thinking about you at, you know, leaving Georgetown before you went to New York and a fire in your belly, but it was kind of an overwhelming, you know, idea to think about leaving everything that was familiar, going to a place that was unfamiliar, going into a profession where that you didn't know other people and where an obvious path was not already laid. Um, and some of the experiences that you can draw on from your own life what are some of the uh, pieces of advice that you would give to people who are at whatever that point is in their journey where they're like, you know what, I, I know that there's something that I can do or that I want to do. I'm a little afraid, but I feel like it's definitely in line with my passion. What guidance do you have? I would tell people like, you know, what you're afraid of is is okay. You, you know, it's okay to be afraid, but like in the end, if it's not something that's going to, I wouldn't suggest anybody, you know, put themselves in a situation where they're homeless, you know, but, and, you know, I, I've, unfortunately I've experienced that and I know what that's like. So I wouldn't suggest that to anybody. Now that wasn't done by choice. I made some decisions that put me in that situation and I had to deal with that, you know? Um, so I wouldn't suggest that. I would suggest that people um, develop a strategy to nurture that fire. Like whatever that is, if it means you have to go get a second job so that you can, you know, your bills have to be paid. You have to be able to take care of yourself. You have to be able to eat right. Because if you don't have those in place, you can't be creative. You can't be, you know, you can't go out here and make this magic, you know, because you're thinking about all these other things and your brain is is clouded with just surviving. But I would say that if something wakes you up every day, that thing that you think about when you wake up, you have to answer that. 
you have it, and and it doesn't have to be right away. You don't have to assume that you're going to be successful tomorrow. Um, but if you keep chipping away at that and you keep nurturing that every day, and you give yourself that space, I'm going to do this for one hour for myself. I'm going to do this for two hours. I'm going to do this for thirty minutes. Right? I feel like. In you know, 30 minutes a day, I mean, you're talking about a few hours a week now that you've invested into yourself. We give all this energy and investment to everybody's business and everyone else's job and all that. But the thing that most drives us, we kind of push that away and we let fear do that. We have to tr- sort of change that that paradigm and do the opposite. Get Feed that like you feed everything else. And I feel like it will eventually take over and it'll take over you and you'll flip it around to where that thing that, you know, you're most passionate about becomes the thing that you do all the time. And that job becomes a thing that you do less and less. And by the time you, you know, could be two, three, four years from now, you're doing what you love. And it doesn't matter how much you're getting paid because you know that you're feeding that fire, that little flame that I have every morning when I wake up. I think about all my projects every single day. I set a goal every day. I give myself 30 minutes to do one, 30 minutes to do something else. And then I always go out, you know, or if it's crazy outside, visually, I think of something. If it's a photograph or if it's a book that has photographs in it, I look at something every single day to keep feeding and that fire. Yeah, I love it. And what you're describing, even though you're an artist, I think everyone can take a lot from that, right? I, I, I think regardless of whether or not a person sees themselves as an artist, we all have creativity in us and we all have um, a, a need, I think, to express it in some way. And so finding the thing that um, connects us back to that creative spirit that we all have, like when we were talking about photographs or going outside and looking at nature or reading or spending some time writing, creating space to, you know, to cultivate some of those creative energies is so important. Even if you're a business person and looking at numbers all day and spreadsheets, it kind of gives our brain somewhere else to go. But I also think it really helps to develop more kind of even muscles. Our brain is, you know, needs to be kind of mm-hmm. pursued and it's so important. It's funny, I, I, I told you this already, but I just recently, I've done this before, but I recently completed the artist's way again. And did all of the routines associated with it. You know, the artist's way, this fantastic workbook is actually kind of a workshop at, that I went through on my own uh, every single day. And I'd get up every morning and I'd spend 45 minutes doing my morning pages. I took my artist dates and just took time all by myself, kind of being quiet, looking around at something that stimulated me creatively. And I felt like it was absolutely amazing and helping me refocus on what's important. And it also gave me time to kind of um, put in perspective the things that weren't important, right? Then just quiet time. Let, this this is not that important and this is not that important. And once I got done with that 45 minutes in the morning, right, the first 30 of it was just kind of chipping away at all the stuff from the day before, right? And kind of my to-do list and all of that. But the last 15 minutes, I'm like, this right here, this is the sweet spot. And then from there, you continue to build. The way that you're describing it, I think, um, like the artist's way, could really resonate with people across industries at any point in their life who are just trying to find the thing that helps them reconnect with their passion and their mission and, and potentially turn it into something that could be more meaningful life work. 
Well, it's also like, I mean, every, we were all creative at one point. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the, it, it, regardless of whether you became an investment banker, uh, you know, a, a VC of a company or a CEO of something else, well, we were like that, that two, three, four, five, six, probably all the way to eight and 10 before things got real like serious since, you know, fifth grade, you start paying more attention. When we had to go outside, you know, and again, this is pre all this social media and stuff, it was go outside and play. And if you didn't have a whole bunch of toys to play with, you made things. You know, we made basketball hoops with, with, with milk crates. <laughs> you know, we, we balled up, you know, rubber bands until they got big enough. And that's your basketball or your baseball or whatever. But I mean, our minds was, our minds were drawn to being creative with the, with the things that are around us. And I think we quiet that when the noise of the world comes in and we have to be business-like and we have to like start paying bills and start doing that. It's like that six-year-old in me, I don't ever want that person to go away. So okay. I, I'm I'm beholden to that six-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, think about how many times people are, I don't know, that's all I hear people talking about, you know, all the time they spend talking to their therapist and their therapist is like, go back and find your inner child. Hey, that that person in there, you owe them something, and they owe you something. <laughs> all of that, the energy that comes along with that, that artistic, creative energy, we just we just tamp it down and we judge it and we call it not important, or we say that it's you know optional, um, and you know we we say it's for those people in those specific spaces. But I actually believe if we had a more holistic way of kind of thinking about ourselves and all of the different parts of ourselves in ways that honored them. Um, we would be much happier and much more kind of whole as a society and as human, as individuals. I agree. Alice, thank you. Um, oh, thank you. Fantastic conversation as always. You and I sit and have long conversations all the time. So this was just like one of many, but I really appreciate you sharing um, yourself, your story, your, um, your insights, your uh, advice with us and with our listeners. We deeply appreciate you. Thank you. And well, I hope to do it again sometime soon. Absolutely. Tell us how we can find you, please. Um, you can find me periodically on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I have a social media presence, but I, I, I'm not on there as much as I'd like to. Um, it's it's at H-O-L-L-I-S-M-E-M. Again, it's at H-O-L-L-I-S-M-E-M on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, just my name, Hollis Miminger, and I'm on LinkedIn, same thing. And my website for my nonprofit is um, www.bridgebuilderarts.org, www.bridgebuilderarts.org. Um, and, you know, you can you can Google me too and probably find some nice little articles and find me that way as well. Absolutely. And we can also potentially contribute and find ways to support the work that you're doing at Bridge Builder and with the arts community. It's really important work that you're doing. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, there's a there's a little donate button on that website. But, you know, I always tell people like, you know, this goes back to that first thing that you asked me, like things that have impacted me, you know, in my career. I got a dollar donation from a kid from some other country, but he told me that's all he had available. And I will never forget that. And I thanked him because I feel like it's not it's not just about the amount, it's just the intention. Like he said, I really love what you're doing for 
young kids in the community, this is all I have, but I want to give it to. That to me was worth a million dollars. I know. I agree. And that's, and that's all he had that the, the, you know, comparatively speaking now for everyone else, if you also want to give compared to what you have, take it. The bar is here. Yeah. No, yeah. It's the, the sense of it. Yeah. You could add a few zeros to that. That would be and, and, and you know, and just to be clear, 100% of everything that's donated goes back into the organization, but 100% of that is for the students. They don't pay for, for their uh, classes. They don't pay for materials. Everything that's been done since 2016 that's been donated goes right back into the into the community for the kids. So there's very low overhead in terms of anything based on like now that it's virtual. A lot of it is virtual. Um, you know, I just find that it, it's such a impactful thing for people to do for these kids because they can see themselves in the work. And that's where we come in is we show them that these are viable options. These are career paths. These kids are going to top universities now based on what they've learned in this organization. So I appreciate any dime, any, any amount of zeros, whatever you have, feel free. Or if you just have some advice and some information to add to it, I'll take that too. You know, these kids are learning, you know, money management, life skills, wealth building. It's a very holistic approach to storytelling through their bodies. And so, and, and the number of students you have at any given time is, is what? It's about 25. So on average, when I have, when I have the program and we've had as many as 50, um, but for the most part, 25 is usually the most manageable, but on online programs, we've had 50, uh, we had 65, we've had 35, but you know, it varies, but the, the sweet spot is about 25 students. And what I'd invite all of the viewers and listeners to do is to go to the website, Bridge Builder Arts, and see um, what is happening there. There are amazing, amazing skills that are being developed. The curriculum is amazing. The level and quality of interaction, um, the amount of, of guidance. Hollis, you've told me, you know, the kind of the very intensive hands-on ways in which you not just work with students, but also work with students and educators and community um, as we transitioned into COVID, as we worked through COVID, trying to make sure that people had access to resources, that people could continue to learn, that young people were not feeling depressed or disconnected from the thing that really gave them joy in this world. And so, you know, really thinking about not just learning a skill set um, related to storytelling, but connecting it to your life and, and their lives and also at a time when wellness and mental health are so incredibly important to, to be attentive to, and that you've also layered that into the um, curriculum and the experience has been really, really powerful. So um, I just strongly encourage everybody to check out Bridge Builder and huge, huge um, love and gratitude to you for doing that important work. Thank you. All right, take care, Hollis. And thank okay. You. And thank All right, you. I appreciate it. Thank you, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you.